Happy National Pet Month, everyone. This is Ricardo, and here's what you'll be wagging your tail to in the Popping Collars feed for May 2022. The Popping Collars crew discuss our favorite filmed adaptations of popular books this month. Check out what movies we think are the pick of the litter. The PC Music Diary is back with a perfect song this month. I'll be talking about Main Street by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. The fur will be flying on an all-new Going On 30 when Greg and Betsy discuss Oliver Stone's conspiracy epic, JFK. On The Sacred Six, Dan Jocelyn Simatowski and Greg are back for another conversation about baseball and sacraments. Hear what these cool cats have to say about the scapegoating of Bill Buckner and our need for reconciliation. Finally, join Liz and me on the PC Book Club, where we recommend some new reads for you and your four-legged pal to curl up with. Thanks for listening to Popping Collars, the only podcast that keeps your and your pet's collars popped. Sometimes at funeral receptions, there will be a collage of photographs depicting the deceased at various stages of their life. Important moments captured on film or maybe just everyday candids that in this memorial service context take on a greater resonance. But wouldn't it be something if there were a sort of emotional camera, one that took snapshots of life's highlights? I mean, pictures of you in moments of absolute joy or fear, of terrible loneliness or deep contentment. Photos of instances that indelibly marked your soul and changed you. What a collage that would be. Well, this is a story about one such image from my life. I remember standing on a corner at midnight. Trying to get my courage up. I grew up Roman Catholic on the south side of Milwaukee. My family attended St. Patrick's Church at the corner of 7th and Washington, in a neighborhood rapidly shifting from Germans and Poles to Mexicans and Puerto Ricans. In July of 1982, when I was 15, going on 16, my parents let me attend an overnight church youth retreat the first time I'd ever been allowed to spend the night away, other than staying over at my cousin's. Our small youth group from St. Patrick's joined a few others from neighboring churches for this overnight at a high school. I remember sleeping in the gymnasium on blankets I had brought from home with me. We heard Bible stories, did some trust exercises, sang songs, ate snacks, and played games. I remember being nervous. I only knew two kids. But I also knew the priest leading the retreat, Father Bill. He was new to St. Patrick's, having come from nearby Marquette University, a white guy who spoke Spanish, and the first in what would be a long line of Jesuits serving our parish. Unlike all the other priests I'd known, he was so young and sweet. Brown hair, blue eyes, easy laugh, gentle manner. 
throughout the evening's doings, I found myself scanning the gym to locate him amid the surge of teenagers. Whenever I did find him, my body just gravitated in his direction until I stood close enough to hear his voice and sneak looks at his face. There was this long, lovely dancer in a little club downtown. Loved to watch her do her stuff. I wanted to sit in his lap, to nuzzle my face in his chest. These urges, these urges from nowhere they came. I didn't even think them, they just were. That mostly sleepless night, I gazed up in a reverie at the gymnasium ceiling, stomach and ears like champagne. The next day I woke up late. All the other kids were at breakfast. I dragged myself to the boys' bathroom, opened the door, and there was Father Bill, shirtless and shaving. Lightly haired, rounded pecs, I will never forget. He'd just come back from a morning jog. I peed, then came back to him, but couldn't think of what to say. You'd better get breakfast, he suggested. I swear, I backed out of that bathroom, unselfconsciously staring as long as I could. When I got home that afternoon, I went straight to bed and woke up sick. It lasted all week. Chills and fever, a flu. On the third day, my dad laughed and said, he's not sick, he's in love. On the fifth day, I admitted to myself he was right. On the seventh day, I knew I was going to hell. Through the long, lonely nights, she filled my sleep. Her body softly swaying to that smoky beat down on Main Street. Was your first crush like this? Overwhelming and impossible? I didn't call it a crush, though. I was in love with my priest, who is a man, who is a priest. I was going to hell. I could tell no one. Life was misery. How to describe it? I guess what comes to mind is walking around doubled over in pain, but on the inside. My longing made me nauseous mixed as it was with self-loathing at realizing I was gay. And yes, I do tend towards big feelings. I inherited the melodrama from my mother. But this was 1982. My parents were religious working-class immigrants, and the church was pretty clear about what happens to maricones, to homos. I had a job that year at the McDonald's on 16th and Washington. My sister let me borrow her car when I worked the closing shift because we didn't get out till after midnight. That summer of 82, I closed a lot, not having to go to school the next day. On one such night, about a month after the youth retreat, in sheer desperation, I drove down Washington to 7th and parked the car outside the parish rectory at 1 a.m. Engine off, windows rolled up in the cool evening, smelling like a quarter pounder with cheese, I sat staring at the steering wheel, shoulders hunched, utterly defeated. Then I began to whimper. My shoulders started shaking, slowly, then uncontrollably. And then I howled, 
tears flew out of my eyes as my whole body began heaving and racking with sobs, and I wailed and wailed, losing control of my body as it spasmed and keened against the steering wheel. It was mouth-open, saliva-dripping, all-out bawling that must have gone on for ten minutes. And I don't know how the neighborhood didn't wake or dogs bay. I parked outside the rectory four or five more nights that summer. But instead of crying, I looked up at the windows of the Cream City brick house. Everything was dark. And I pictured Father Bill sleeping in his twin bed, dreaming. I didn't even know how to make my imaginings erotic. I just saw him sleeping. I wanted to be with him. His sweetness, his lovely face and chest. And that is my snapshot. A moment I would put in the collage at my funeral if I could. Me sitting in that car and looking up at his windows. Because for those four or five times in the middle of the night, I experienced some of the purest emotions of my life. Simple feelings, yet so powerful. After that first night of utter despair and tears, what was left was the cleanness that follows a devastating storm. There was still sadness, of course, with years more to come, and a long time before I rejected the eternal damnation I believed was my fate. But I now see those nights as sacred, almost holy, in their purity. And I like to think God longed to hold me in some ways, like I longed to be held by Father Bill. Down on Main Street. It was either that summer or the one after that my two best friends from high school stopped answering my calls for two whole weeks. I was convinced they had dropped me completely. Finally, one of them called me back and told me I was being a pest. Turns out they had spent those weeks dating two sisters and having the time of their lives, making out on rec room couches and in back row movie seats. My friend made it clear that this was more important than hanging out with me and that I should stop calling them. Around that time, I discovered or rediscovered Bob Seger's album, Night Moves. Listening to the title track, I realized that I would never have what my two friends had an adolescence of sexual exploration. As Bob Seeger sings, out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy, out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy, working on mysteries without any clues, working on our night moves. To this day, I find it hard to watch teen movies where everyone gets to have that, because I didn't. And even then, I knew I wouldn't. But Bob Seeger did not leave me comfortless. For on side two of that very same album was my snapshot in music. The song Main Street. And damned if Seeger didn't also experience that same late night on the sidewalk unrequited longing that I did. He sings, I remember standing on the corner at midnight trying to get my courage up. 
there was this long, lovely dancer in a little club downtown. Loved to watch her do her stuff. Through the long, lonely nights, she filled my sleep, her body softly swaying to that smoky beat down on Main Street. It's actually a pretty song. It's an ode to not getting what you long for, yet honoring the sacredness of that longing. And yes, the song has a slight stalker vibe to it, except that you know he's never going to take it any further than just pining away from afar. Well, I'd stand outside a closing time Just to watch her walk on past Unlike all the other ladies She looked so young and sweet She made her way along Down that empty street Down on Main Street For Bob Seger and me, the Latin phrase mutatis mutandis comes in handy here. It means making necessary alterations while not affecting the main point at issue. So, in other words, standing on the corner at midnight down on Main Street pining for a sweet exotic dancer? Mutatis mutandis sitting in a car at 1 a.m. on Washington Street pining for a young Jesuit priest. The main point at issue being that same sense of sadness over what will never be yours, mixed with an almost gratefulness that you ever got to experience those feelings at all. That's exactly what Bob Seger sings in his last verse. Sometimes even now, when I'm feeling lonely and beat, I drift back in time and I find my feet. Down on Main Street. Down on Main Street. Down on Main Street. Down on Main Street. There are stories too numerous to mention of the tortured year or two I spent pining for Father Bill. But then I left for college and new crushes in 1984. Father Bill left St. Patrick's in 1986. The rumor was he'd fallen in love with a woman in the parish and they needed to move him. A few years later, he was sent to the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, where he faithfully served that community for 17 years. The Lakota people there named him Wasin Yampi, which means depend on him. In 2006, while on a much-needed sabbatical in Chicago, Father Bill, having finished dinner with his Jesuit brothers, collapsed from a heart attack and died, only 59 years old. A lifelong jogger, some surmised that the hard life of a priest serving on a reservation for so many years just took its toll. I wonder whether some unfulfilled longings in his heart also left their scars. In an article I found online after his death, Father Bill wrote, God names us all as precious and beautiful in his creative love, even though we forget and forget.
Thank you, Father Bill, for being my first love. And thank you, Bob Seeger, for the musical snapshot. Those old high school friends can keep their night moves. I'll see you on Main Street, where we'll rejoice at how alive we once got to be. Thank you.